We are continuing our series on the kingdom of God this morning and we're looking at the priority of the kingdom from Matthew chapter 6. And Jensen Brown, step this way and read God's word to us today. Brilliant. I think we might have to, uh, we have to lift this up a bit. All right. Here you go, mate. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me all right? <laughs> Uh, um, I will read it, but quickly I just want to share an answer to the prayer that I've had in the last Brilliant. week or two. Brilliant. Um, uh, I'm in year 13, which is last year of sixth form. We had to uh, apply for university. Even if you don't want to go, you have to apply. It's just school rules. I don't know why they do it. But, uh, so I was looking, I was more interested at the time in doing a universe, uh, an apprenticeship for physiotherapy, which is what I was looking at going into. Uh, but I ended up applying for four physio courses at u- different universities and I got I only got one offer for an interview which was with uh, Salford so I was um, quite anxious, quite nervous about this interview uh, but I asked for prayer from various people, so my family my dad and Fiona and uh, Jonathan wherever, where he go? Uh, never there, yeah Jonathan uh, and I had my interview on the 8th and they got back to me the Two hours after my interview finished, give me a place. Hey. So, but now I'll, I'll do what I'm supposed to do and read to you. <laughs> so, Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 34. Uh, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Enough trouble of its own. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, Salford's gain is our loss, then, by the sound of things. 
That's great, that, Jensen. Thank you. Yes, we're in Matthew chapter 6, and we're looking at the priorities of the kingdom, and uh, it's summed up in verse 33, if you have got a Bible open in front of you, where Jesus simply says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I want to focus on that little phrase this morning. Seek first the kingdom of God and seek first his righteousness. Funnily enough, this was a passage that was spoken uh, when Angie and I got married just a few years ago. And and, uh, uh, Ray spoke on this because at the time we didn't have anywhere to live. We were looking for somewhere to, a a flat to rent and we couldn't find anywhere. And uh, he spoke on this passage and about the importance of pursuing Jesus first in your life over and above the normal things that we would worry about and care for and and get agitated over. Uh, and, And that kind of passage landed on that day and has stuck with us ever since. And we've sought to try and do this down through the years, right? Sometimes we have, sometimes maybe not quite so successful. Um, But we've sought to try and do it, right? Because Jesus is encouraging us to seek him first, to put him in front of the normal things that we would worry about in life. And this passage and the message today is all about bringing Jesus front and centre in your life and in my life. And bringing him right there. And he is the one that matters. Therefore, he drives everything that we do. Therefore, he affects everything that we think about. Therefore, he affects every choice and decision that we make through our lives as he starts to influence us uh, and affect us. See, Jesus is speaking and telling his disciples here what following him is supposed to be like. And although the text uses the language of seek first the kingdom, we can say seek first Jesus and what he's got in store for you. And seek first his rule in your life. And and that's what this passage is, is really all about. And this sentence is a summary statement of everything else that has gone before in chapter 6 and actually in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which is where uh, these chapters are. And he's, he's talked about in detail what specifically does it mean to seek first God's kingdom? What specifically does it mean to seek Jesus first and put him in that place in your life? And we'll just cover a couple of those because time doesn't permit to go into much detail. But the first thing to really point out is if we are to seek the kingdom of God first in our lives, if we're to seek Jesus first, that all starts with a changed heart. And actually, it kind of continues with your heart continuing to need to change. And what I mean by that is the thing that makes you and I tick. What is it that drives us? Because for a lot of us, if we're, before we become Christians and sometimes even after, what matters in our life is me. And therefore, what matters in my life is, is I put me first. And I want to do things that are going to be good for me, whether that's keeping me safe or giving me money or giving me protection or giving me friends. And it's all about me. And the changed heart that is required as we encounter Jesus is something that changes that and flips it completely on its head. You know, we all do things, don't we, where our heart isn't in it. Yeah? Yeah. Jensen's talked about school. We can all remember those subjects we hated at school. We had to go and do them. 
but our heart certainly was not in, in them at all. You know, and we can't pursue Jesus in this way that he's talking about here if our heart hasn't been transformed by the power of God. And the good news this morning, as we've already heard, is that God is here to touch and change people's lives and hearts. And it is not dependent on you and me. All the things we have to do is to bow the knee and surrender. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. But, but I use this analogy because I, I found it helpful. If you don't find it helpful, let me know um, afterwards because I'll change it. But we used to think hundreds of years ago that uh, the sun went round the earth, right? Because after all, you look out of your window in the morning and what do you see? You see the sun go doing this, don't you? And so we used to think, naturally, that the sun went around the earth. And in the same way, people live their lives today and we're taught by media and education that there is no God and therefore we live our lives with it revolving around us all the time. And then a few hundred years ago, some clever people worked out that actually what you see isn't really the truth. But the truth is that the earth is going around the sun. I said that the right way around, didn't I? Yeah, good, good. <laughs> right. the, the earth is going around the sun, and so it's completely different and completely the opposite way to the way we think. And the problem is in, in our culture and society today, we're taught to think one way where our life revolves around us, but the reality is there is a God in heaven who looks down on us. There is a God in heaven that one day we will stand before him and face uh, and have to answer for how we've lived our lives. And the truth is that he's brought Jesus into this world to die on a cross for you and me, that our our hearts could be changed, that our lives could be transformed, that our life will revolve around him and not around you and me. And that's a big change. That's a massive change. Uh, and so, um, so, so the first thing we have to do to, to seek first his kingdom is understand it's about our heart change. The second thing that I just want to pull out from this chapter is that if we're to seek first the kingdom of God, if we're to seek first Jesus in our lives, then that requires honesty. It means we need to become men and women who are honest with ourselves about who we are, about what screws us up, about the real state of our lives. Then we need to be honest with God about the same thing. And then we need to be honest with each other. You see, the early part of chapter 6, before the bit that Jensen read for us, he talks about the hypocrites. He talks about the people who, in that day, love to give to the poor and be seen doing it. He talks about the people who love to pray on street corners, looking very spiritual with their arms in the air and lost in wonder, love and praise, but then being men and women who go away and do something completely different. And he exposes the hypocrisy. And we don't live in a culture where those things are common anymore, but we do live in a culture where hypocrisy is rife. Because hypocrisy actually means simply that we wear a mask to hide what we really look like. And that's what Jesus is exposing. And as we encounter the kingdom of God in our lives, one of the things Jesus is going to do and challenge you and I about is to take off that mask and let him see us as we really are. You know, Jesus himself said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And part of that truth is the truth about who you and I really are, about the state of our lives, the mess we get in, and how we're screwed up. And so somebody once said, I think, 
the truth will set you free, but first it really annoys you. But I think he used different words than that. Right? But it does. That's what Jesus does. He confronts us with what we are truly, truly like. And then do you know what? When we say, yeah, Jesus, you're right. He forgives us. He loves us. You know, knowing what we were like, he died on a cross, hung there for you and me. So that, that, that reveal, if you like, to Jesus of what we are really like, that removing of the mask and being honest with ourselves and honest with God and then honest with others is a healing process that only Jesus can bring. There have been times in my life when I've been uh, in meetings like this and there's a way to the presence of God that I can't describe very well using English words. But there's a weight of it. And one of the things that strikes me about that is, is the fact that God knows absolutely everything about me. Way more than even Ange knows about me. And it's the same for each one of us. And in that, in that moment when the weight of God is there, there's a sense that God knows the state of my heart. He knows what I'm thinking about. He knows what I've said. He knows absolutely everything about me. And yet in his holiness and his purity and his, and his beauty and majesty, he loves me. What an amazing combination. It's really hard for us to get our heads around that because we think if, if, if he knows me like that, then he's not going to like me. But do you know what? God is not like us. He loves us with a passion. You know, he cares for you with a passion that words cannot express. He knows all about and he's waiting for us, for you and I, to be men and women who stand before him and say, yeah, Jesus, I've really screwed this up. But oh God, what love. What love he has for you and for me. And so he asks us to remove the mask. The third thing I just noticed in the chapter is we need to nail Jesus as number one in our lives. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. In other words, what you value, what you put your energy in, what you put your passion in, what you spend time thinking about, planning your life around, those are the things that where your heart is. And Jesus is encouraging us in that chapter to make sure that the things that we set our hearts on are not things of this world, where, as the passage said, thieves break in and steal, moth and rust destroy. But the, the focus of it is that our, our energy, where our heart is, should be things to do with him, his plans, his purposes. That's why he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he goes on to talk about what we look at and how what you and I look at with our eyes is so important because what we see goes into us and has an effect. And he talks about if we look at things of the light, then light is in us. If we look at things of darkness, then darkness is in us. You know, we have to be careful what we watch uh, on telly, on YouTube, on Facebook, on any other social media platform we care to dream up in the next 10 years. Right? What we spend our time looking at has such an impact on what goes into us. And Jesus is saying, if you look at the things of the light, your body will be full of light. This is seeking first his kingdom. Making intelligent choices about what we watch and what we look at. And he talks about that. And, and then finally he talks about, I'm racing through here, finally he talks about, uh, he frees us from things, not only um, from the worry of this world, and he talks, as, as Jensen read for us, don't worry about where you're going to get food from, where are you going to get drink from? Where are you going to get your clothes from? You could add, where are you going to get a roof over your head? Where's the next bit of money coming from? And he's saying that because 
those, th there's a certain element in which, yes, we need to, to, to look after ourselves and the people that we are responsible for. But he's saying don't become those men and women that pursue those things, that their life is all about getting those basic things. Because actually what happens then, you want more. You want the next set of labelled clothing that you can get hold of. And those become the things that you pursue. And he says, don't worry about those. Don't worry about those. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. It's like, you know, God says to me, Andy, don't worry about clothes. I know you need them. Nobody wants to see you naked. <laughs> right? Yeah, he knows we need them, right? He says, don't worry about getting those. Pursue him instead. So, but I want to just to try and finish. Uh, I want to just home in on two words in, that, in, the, in, the last, in the phrase about seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And the first word is seek but we're to seek Jesus. And we're to go on seeking Jesus all of our lives. And, you know, and as I said earlier, you know, this was a passage spoken when we got married. You know, great, to, great to hear what Jonathan said today. You know, as he's worked here for 30 years, it's all about, over that length of time, seeking Jesus. Seeking his work in the church, in the community, and in people's lives. It's for the duration and so following Jesus is an active thing. It's not passive. We're not to be like spectators at a football match. We're to be like guys and girls on the team playing, you know, and actually engaged. This is not, following Jesus is not sitting on a cruise ship. It's taking part in a battleship. You know, we all have a part to play and it's active. We are to seek him. If you want to find something, you have to go and look, yeah. don't you? No game of hide-and-seek ever finished successfully without the child going off and seeking, right? You have to go and look. You know, and we've all lost things, haven't we, in our homes, and we turf out drawers and cupboards and wardrobes, and, oh, can't wait. and we think about what happened, what was I doing then when I last had that thing? We've all been there, right? You have to seek. Jesus is saying we need to be like that with him. And seek him and pursue him in whatever way that we can. Jesus is looking for us to be passionately pursuing him. Pursuing his will over us. What does Jesus want you and I to do? And pursuing his will over our own will. We need to spend time reading scriptures. That's how we pursue him. We need to spend time in prayer. That's how we pursue him. We need to spend time worshipping, giving him what he is worth. Pursuing Jesus together. But there's also, the, the sentence also has a, a bit of a, a, a longevity about it, right? Seeking Jesus is not like, where's Wally? Found him, right? It's not like that, okay? We are to pursue him and continue to pursue him through the rest of our lives. The word used to seek Jesus in this passage can also mean desire, Desire Jesus. Desire his kingdom. Desire his power at work in your life and in my life. And if you desire something, yeah, we all know, we go for it. There's a passion involved. It's not a cool standoffish thing. There's a passion and an energy and a focus involved when we desire something. The other thing, that the word can also be used to, to mean question, which I find ever so interesting. Question the kingdom of God. Question Jesus. In a sense, not, not, it, it, to find out more about him. To pursue him. Because none of us here, not even Jonathan, have got all the answers. Right? 
We, we need to keep questioning, Jesus, what are you doing today? Jesus, why is that happening? Jesus, how do we work with you as you build your church? Jesus, how do we work with you in the community? Jesus, I don't understand this, but I trust you, but you know, what are you doing? How can I get involved, Jesus? Question, question. There's an element of questioning the kingdom of God in order to pursue it further. There's a focus on it, like an athlete training for an Olympic event that dedicates their lives that, uh, to, to, to running that race with the intention of winning it once every four years. And that, that commitment affects what they eat and the discipline around their diet. It affects when they sleep and how they sleep and the discipline around that. It affects how they exercise and what muscles they concentrate on exercising and how they do that. It affects their whole lifestyle because they are focused on that race in four years' time. And Jesus says, you know, we're to seek first his kingdom. That's what it's like, seeking his kingdom. Focus on him as he changes us. And as he brings us into his plans and his purpose for our lives. No matter whether we are a student, a young family, whether we're in midlife, whether we've finished employment, whether we are a pensioner, whether we are on benefits, whatever state of life we are in, this statement about pursuing Jesus is true for every single one of us. And and the second thing I just want to bring out is he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And perhaps this is the biggest challenge for all of us. Because following Jesus isn't about adding him to everything else in our lives. It's not about, you know, this is my bit of life over here. I'll give this bit to Jesus. But I'm going to hang on to this because I really like this bit. It's not like that. It's about putting him first. Choice, options, flexibility... Mix and match, even Wilco pick and mix. <laughs> they're all common phrases today, right? That, that and they're all popular phrases. And, and we're all taught to view all of those things as a good thing. But with Jesus, it's him. Full stop. We're not to mix and match. Pick and mix. It's about Jesus and pursuing him first. When it comes to him, we seek him first and foremost because he has pursued every single one of us in this room to the point of death on a cross. And he has pursued us and he pursues you and me today with a fierce jealousy and passion that we struggle to get a hold of. And he will not share his most treasured possession with another. And you this morning and me this morning are Jesus' most treasured possession. Has anybody else ever said that to you? Jesus says that to us. He has pursued to death for you and for me. And so he calls us to follow him, not half-heartedly, not sharing our affections with another, but with boldness, passionately, humbly, sacrificially, choosing him before all else. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness. And this society in which we now live is desperate for an authentic and clear expression of Christianity that puts Jesus front and centre in your life and in my life and communicates an integrity as he leads us into the communities around us. I just want to finish uh, with a story 
shortly after the Second World War finished, communists behind the Iron Curtain sought to wipe out Christianity. They confiscated church property, they removed pastors' licenses, and stopped them being paid. In Romania, they convened a massive congress of all Christian leaders across all denominations and assembled 4,000 people in front of a huge portrait of Stalin. And under fear of imprisonment, torture and death, one Christian leader after another stepped forward and praised the new communist government and declared communism and Christianity's aims were similar. They had similar goals and could ride along together. However, sitting in that meeting was a well-educated Lutheran pastor. I'm going to cry here, sorry. <clears throat> was a well-educated Lutheran pastor called Richard Wurmbrandt and his wife, Sabina. And they listened to this repeated betrayal absolutely distraught. Sabina turned to her husband at one stage and said, Richard, stand up and wash away the shame from the face of Christ. They are spitting in his face, she said. And Richard whispered across to her, if I do so, you will lose your husband. She replied, I don't want a coward for a husband. So Richard arose and requested permission to speak. And he walked to the rostrum and he looked across the sea of faces and spoke into the microphone that was broadcasting the message across the country. And he declared it is our duty as Christian ministers to glorify Christ. That comment led immediately to 14 years in prison, including three years in solitary confinement. His book, Tortured for Christ, goes through the catalogue of horrific stuff he endured, including his wife being told that he was dead, her being arrested, and their son left on the streets. It was absolutely horrific. But here was a man and a woman that got a hold of this verse, that knew what it meant, and were willing to embrace it. And I think the challenge for you and me today is exactly the same. Jesus is calling us to seek first him, his kingdom, and his righteousness. Amen. Amen.